Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today, we have Megan Blackstone on the show. She is the manager of internal audit at True Blue. She's also currently on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council and was formerly the chair of the Employee Resource Group for Mental Health. We talked about this during the recording, but I want to make sure that people hear it up front also. The number one issue, we've asked this question, if you're a a faithful listener to the show, CAEs that come on, what's the number one problem you're dealing with? All but one have said hiring and retention, hiring and retention. Audit board did some kind of survey of CAEs, top 10 things you're dealing with. Number one thing, hiring and retention. Megan has 14 folks on that team. They've had one person voluntarily leave in the last year. The industry standard is 25 to 30%. So one out of 14, roughly 7%. The roles, when they post them, don't stay open for more than a month. I know roles that have been open for over a year at certain organizations. Megan will tell you exactly what they do. Very practical. This is how we do it. This is how often we do it. This is what works for us. This is what didn't work for us. This is what might work for you, etc. Exactly how they did it at True Blue. So if you're not in your car and you can take notes, take notes. If you're in your car, come back to it and listen to it again. Shout out to former guest Jason Menendez for introducing me to Megan. Thanks a ton. I loved doing this episode. Here we go. A topic that was definitely popular during COVID when everyone was at home and couldn't even leave the house for the most part, depending on what part of the country you're in. And so burnout became a topic that was really popular. I never really understood what it meant. Was it, hey, that means you just don't have enough discipline or like, how do you identify what's burnout versus, I just want to do this today. So what's your definition of burnout and how can we identify it versus it being a lack of discipline? So Burnout is, um, it's a clinical term, and it was uh, only recently recognized by the World Health Organization in 2019, and it really describes chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, and there's kind of like three trademarks for it. The first one is exhaustion and depleted energy, and then the second one um, is increased mental distance from your job and feeling negative, uh, negativity and cynicism about your job. And then the third is like that reduced professional efficacy. So in addition to these three dimensions, there's also a few different flavors of burnout. And uh, the one that I think most people think of is that uh, the first one is overextended. So that's, you've just got way too much on your plate um, and and that's contributing to it. Um, The second flavor is being disengaged. And I I like to think about this as kind of like being bored, like being really bored and the work isn't stimulating or you're not feeling connected to your team or to your company. And then the last flavor really is um, ineffective. So 
if you have the authority, it's not having the authority or resources to do your job properly. So while lack of discipline and project management can certainly contribute to burnout, um, they are different. And some of the warning signs uh, do have some overlap, like decreased productivity and performance. Um, so why is it important? Burnout is especially, um, especially prevalent since the pandemic. And it's been a huge issue for teams that impacts turnover. Um, according to a recent Deloitte survey, over 90% of employees have an unmanageable amount of stress that negatively impacts the quality of their work. What? And burnout- 90? 90%, 90%. Okay. This was um, Deloitte's recent burnout study. It just blows my mind. Um, and, and that's not people saying they're burned out. That's people saying, talking about the symptom of burnout, of being unmanageable amounts of stress and Got it. how it, yeah, it's totally wild. And so, um, the reason it's really important too, is that burnout can take a long time to recover from. It could require a medical leave of absence. Um, it could require, um, it could require days off, um, and it can also take up to two years to entirely recover from. So okay. yeah, while it seems like a personal problem, um, it's something that you can help your team manage and it has a big impact on retention and job satisfaction. Yeah, I got to think so. Yeah. So as a leader, I mean, you have a huge impact on your team's mental health and being mindful of this really can create a culture where it's safe to raise white flags before the situation gets really critical. So knowing, knowing when to raise these white flags before the situation is critical, you, uh, you can then reassign your resources um, to keep your projects on track and it helps your perform or your employees continue to perform at your best. So a follow-up question. Mm -hmm. I had read at some point, again, when this was like hot uh, and I was trying to figure out how do you identify it? And <laughs> it was actually some sales guy and his wife was a psychologist. And so pretty potent tandem, I think <laughs> you asked me. Um, but it was either her or him that said, it's when you lose joy in the things that you used to have joy in. And that's how <laughs> I like would identify it within myself. Like even just hanging out with my kid and I was like, God, what a, like what a stressful time, you know? And it, I was like, well, <laughs> that used to not be the case. So maybe that, maybe I need, and you know, maybe I need to take a break and go, this was in October. I was like, I'll go take the day off and hike the mountain or something like that. Does that make sense to you based on your understanding? Yeah. That a good I would way to say, recognize it? Yeah. And I would say, I mean, it, it definitely has overlap with some of these other mental health diagnoses like anxiety and depression. And so, and they can, they can go together. So what uh, a lot of people, a lot of people will find is like, for me personally, when I went through it, I, all I did was exercise and work. That yeah. was all I, all I did because I just really like felt like I wasn't doing enough at work. And and I wouldn't do any of the things that brought me joy. And so my cup was, my cup just got emptier and emptier and emptier until I really hit that rock bottom. How would you describe the type of person you are? What would you classify okay. that as? So um, there's this, uh, there's this really, um, these terms that have been floating around for a while, but you see, you see them a lot recently in articles about business and they describe them either as an anxious achiever or an insecure overachiever. Yeah. And, um, and so many professional services like IT or legal accounting, finance, auditors, first responders, 
they tend to attract really, really capable and ambitious, talented, hardworking people who are really hungry for recognition and validation. Yeah. And, and so a lot of high performers usually fall into this archetype. They're unsure of their success and skills, and it manifests as pushing harder and harder to feel like they've accomplished something, but at the same time, not feeling like they're good enough, despite these past successes. So it's, is it on, if we're looking at it from a manager level or perspective, is it like mm-hmm. almost the advice to be pat people on the back more, like celebrate their wins it, more? It absolutely, it absolutely helps for sure. Um, cause these employees, they're going to compensate by these inner doubts by overachieving. And then kind of another name for it is perfectionism, yeah. which people hear that and they go, oh, oh, I'm not trying to be perfect. And it's like, it's, it's not trying to be perfect. It's trying desperately not to fail. And, uh, these employees often are really amazing rising stars and they can be really prone to burnout because they, they're workaholics. They're chasing the rush of adrenaline from the deadlines. They might be addicted to cortisol, which is a stress hormone, yeah. and it can create a whole bunch of other physical and mental health problems. I've never heard the cortisol thing. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So uh, cortisol is a stress hormone that's released, and that you know that doesn't sound good. Stress hormone. How can you be addicted to a stress hormone? Yeah. Essentially, your nervous system is just firing away, firing, 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 releasing the stress chemical. And your body gets so used to it that when you're not under stress, you're like, I must be missing something. There's, there's, there is no fire I'm trying to put out where, you know, and you don't have that hormone. And so you're like looking for the problem and the danger when there's no danger, because you're so hooked on this stress chemical in your brain. Got it. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to do some more research into that for myself. That sounds kind of familiar. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks for that. Um, you mentioned your burnout experience a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're okay with it, could you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah. So um, at the beginning of my auditing career, I was definitely an insecure overachiever. I was in public accounting and I worked my tail off. I was really quickly promoted. And I worked 80 plus hours a week during peak busy season on challenging clients. I met all of my deadlines and I never said no to a project or a task. And at the same time, I was really endlessly worried I was going to be fired despite being really a top performer. I had a manager who worked non-standard hours and would email me at two in the morning asking for things urgently. And I'd wake up, my phone notifications are going off and I spring out of bed and I rushed into the office to get the critical item done. There I am. I'm alone in the office. It's 4 a.m. And then the manager rolls in at 11 with no idea of the impacts of these 2 a.m. requests. Yeah. Yeah. And in addition, this manager rarely told me thank you or said I was doing a good job. So in a couple of years of this pattern um, had me overextended. I was disconnected from all the people I worked with and I was really cynical about my clients and the impact my work was having. So I knew I needed to change things. So I left public accounting and I entered industry and I thought maybe I'll just make a few tweaks and it'll get better. So I banished work applications from my phones. I let my colleagues know that if they needed me after hours, they could call or text. And while this was great for a little while, this company was in startup mode and the finance department was very lean. So I wore a lot of hats. I did external reporting. I I did equity accounting. I did, uh, I did some SOX testing. I did, um, I did tax provision work 
And so I quickly fell into the old habits, working really elevated hours. And um, I got a new boss towards the end of my time there who I really wasn't attuned to. And it was neither our faults, but it really quickly spiraled. And I hit burnout, full burnout, and uh, complemented by, by like a side of anxiety and depression. And this was about six years ago. So for me, I had to take a leave of absence for my job. And I was admitted to a residential treatment center in Arizona where I lived for a month and I worked on my mental health diagnosis. Um, I had the support of a clinical team and I began to engage in a variety of activities to support my recovery. And treatment involved really like an alphabet soup of therapy, skills, workshops, wellness, um, nutrition, education lectures, and lots of homework. And I lived in a dorm with other patients who were also working on their recovery for similar diagnosis. I had a roommate and each day was really scheduled heavily for these kinds of activities. So after a month of really intense treatment and mental education boot camp, I was deemed healthy enough to return home and I began the process of reintegrating into my life and taking the skills I'd learned. When I came home, I continued to receive an elevated level of treatment and within two months I was laid off from my job, which was a really big gut punch. My employer was really kind um, and gave me a month's notice and was permissive of me interviewing during working hours and provided me with severance, but it was really hard. So during this transition, I began my search that ended with me getting hired at True Blue, and I had some really wonderful people in my corner who vouched for me and they rooted for me and they gave me advice all the way along the way. And so despite all of these setbacks, landing at True Blue was really one of the most fortunate events in my life. I had a really soft landing. I have a boss that I get on great with. Um, and despite working on burnout and anxiety, I've had incredible opportunities to achieve my professional goals, to show up, to continue to work hard and be seen and lead others, but in a little bit more balanced manner. I've had a successful career here. I've had, uh, I've been promoted internally and I've had opportunities to lead employee engagement initiatives, to work on our DEI council train and develop others, obtain additional professional certifications, and none of this would have happened if I hadn't gone through that massive burnout. So having gone through the terrible burnout with really very little support, there wasn't a lot of materials at the time. It was pretty hard to navigate. I decided when I became a people manager, I wanted to talk to my team about burnout and setting healthy boundaries and managing stress in hopes that I can help others who are insecure overachievers have different outcomes than I had. That is incredible. One of the, maybe if I just said best stories, I think that we've heard here, the level of vulnerability is super impressive. Thank you a ton for sharing that um, with everyone. And I definitely want to now kind of pick your brain, like almost your, your suffering is going to lead to everyone else uh, that's listening to almost like their success and, and likely they're, they're better, hopefully better managers, better uh, mental health. And so can you kind of walk through what you learned uh, based on your experience and how you use that to now take care of your people? And the reason that I want you to share that with us is because the number one problem, we ask CAEs that come on the show all the time, what's the number one problem you're dealing with as a CAE? All but one, I believe, said turnover. And if you look at, there was a report, I think it's from audit board. They did some kind of survey. Hey, CAEs, top 10, what, you know, all those kinds of lists kind of things. Number one issue, what is it? Turnover, hiring, et cetera. And so the reason that I say all that is to say, 
in the past year, I know that you've had, or your uh, audit team, they've had one volunteer leave in the last year out of a team of 14, which is what, roughly 7%. And the industry standard uh, that you told me is somewhere between 25 and 30% right now. That's incredible. And so that's why I'm, I'm saying if you're, whatever you're doing right now, if you want to crank up the volume a little bit more, I think this is going to be extremely helpful to a lot of internal audit teams that are dealing with this hiring, uh, dealing with the, this retention problem. Here's the solution. All right, Megan, I'm just going to let you take over. How do you take care of your people? How are you able to retain the people that you have? So I think a big part of it, it really is, uh, is bringing your whole self to work and being brave enough to be vulnerable with your team. And so you might not be like me, you might not feel up for sharing your biggest failings, which is okay, your team, but your team, they can tell when you're not at your best. So sharing what you feel comfortable sharing opens the door so your team can be more vulnerable with you is, is a big thing. So we do training at least once a year on burnout and what we call progress over perfection. This is like, if you're under tight deadlines, you don't need to spend all that extra time making it perfect. Perfect. Sometimes it's just getting it getting it done with a passing grade is, is good enough. And so we talk a lot about that um, and, and trying to not let perfection get in the way of getting good work done. So we've implemented some, some things that are relatively easy that I think most teams could do um, without too much too much fiddling um and and so one of one of the things we started doing when we were early on this journey is we implemented doing affirmations work affirmations at the end of each uh all hands meeting so um these are affirmators uh affirmators at work and they're from knock knock you can get them on amazon and they're kind of cheeky and fun and they say things so like this one says advocacy I am my own best advocate. When I have an idea, I share it. When I have a need, I speak up about it. When I tell a joke and none of my coworkers laugh, I make sure to repeat it yeah. and then explain it. And if need be, draw a diagram so everyone gets it. So yeah. um, so things like that where they're fun and it really ends our meetings on a positive note. So so we try to incorporate little things like this and we've, we've added things over time um, as I've been a, a leader on this team. And one of the other things that we did was at the beginning of the pandemic, we started implementing a weekly email, which we call Wellness Wednesday to provide wellness tips for our team. And so these really range from fitness and cooking to mental health. And our team, uh, we passed the responsibility for writing them around so no one gets really burnt out on authoring them. And then we asked when we asked the team about uh, about moving to a less frequent cadence. They said no, they really love it. Please yeah. don't take it away. Um, I don't know when when you and I were talking about this. It was kind of at the like Chat GPT had really started yeah. to take off, and I know it can be difficult to basically you're coming up with content. I mean, to send a weekly mm -hmm. email uh, can be tough, especially depending you guys have a large enough team that you can rotate it off. But if you have a mm -hmm. relatively small team. Um, you know, we almost joke, but it would, it does work. Chat GPT. Mm -hmm. Hey, can you write a, a wellness email for, uh, you know, that's 15 sentences long for this mm -hmm. week and it'll spit it out, go in there, clean it up, add the links that you need to and send it out. Mm -hmm. So for those that are like, I really don't, I don't have time to do that. I think that's one mm -hmm. possible solution for getting that out there, but, uh, mm -hmm. go ahead. 
Yeah. And a lot of times too, when we write these, we try to include personal, personal stories too. So it'll be an article and a topic and some information about the topic. It could be like sleep hygiene. And you might say, well, I used to be this anxious overachiever and I would wake up at 2am and go to work. Um, and, and now I sleep well, I don't, I don't have that tossy turny stuff very often anymore. And so you might share some things like that and tips that work, or it could be, um, or it could be, uh, this is how I get myself some exercise during busy season. Here's an article about desk size, which, uh, if you haven't seen the videos, they're fabulous um, <laughs> and you'll have a good laugh. <laughs> um, but I think one of the best ways really to keep a pulse on your team is by checking in and connecting during your one-on-ones yeah. and creating really that safe space to share if they do feel like they're struggling. So I like to start my one-on-ones um, really outside of work. I mean, I know it's a one-on-one, it's about work, but but do I know what's going on with my team members? Um, did they just come back from vacation? How was it? Is their parent good health? Um, are they moving? Um, are they having car troubles? Are, are you know anything like that where you're really personally connecting with them um, is a good way to start just because a lot of times all of that stuff that's outside of work really does impact. It all ripples. You know, it's, it's one integrated life and the stuff outside of work really can impact work as well. So I usually start there and then I like to ask how work is going so I can suss out if, if they're feeling overextended so we, we say uh, overwhelmed or underwhelmed with work. And yeah. if there's anything specific they want to discuss. And then I always try to close it by asking four questions. And these four questions, um, I feel like really kind of help me identify if there's anything else that that they really need help with or if there's things that need to come to my attention. So the first question I like to ask is, is there anything personally or professionally that I don't know right now that you think that I should. And it really opens up an opportunity for them to bring things to your attention you might not otherwise be aware of. It could be that this person is struggling and, and needs some extra training. It could be um, it could be this this client is not giving us what we need to do our work. It could yeah. be it could be um, I'm having this big struggle outside of work and it's it's just helpful. The next question I like to ask um, is, what's one thing I can do better as a leader? And this is thinking back to how really bosses impact the mental health of their employees more significantly than just about anything else in their lives. And so I want to know, is there one is there one thing that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing that would make things better for the people that I'm working with? And it's okay if they have nothing to say. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, sure, pat, pat yourself on the back, but it does give them opportunity if there is something to to let you know what, what that thing is. So the the next thing I like to ask is what's uh, what what are you feeling energized and engaged about at work? What are you excited about? So, um, or what's filling your cup? Things like that, where it really gives them an opportunity to think about what do I like about work? And and then you know for sure, and you can give them those jobs and and tasks and assignments that really get them fired up and they're excited to be there. The last question I like to ask is, um, is there anything you'd like more of? And and this isn't, would you like some more work? This is, <laughs> is there, it's, it's not, it's not, would you like some more work? This is, 
Is there any type of assignments that you really enjoy that you're not getting enough of? And, um, and this, you know, this helps really helps you get centered and say, okay, well, how can I help this employee do what they love and what they want to what they do best every single day when they come to work? Um, all right. So I do have a lot of follow-up questions. One, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, and I'm asking you specifically, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't ask most people, but giving, uh, or given how vulnerable, vulnerable you were earlier mm-hmm. when you asked, when you've asked, what can I do better as a leader? What's been the most maybe impactful answer that someone gave you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say, I would say it's, it's not always necessarily really big things. Sometimes it's just a small little thing that you can change. And sometimes it is big things, but it's usually small things. Like I have some auditors on my team who struggle with transitions. And so giving them as much advance notice when things are changing uh, assignments, if something goes sideways and suddenly they're two, two extra weeks in whatever they're doing um, and we have to reassign things, the more heads up we can give that we're going to take other stuff off their plate so they can do that or um, let the other auditors know that this person's having these these challenges with um, something going sideways in their audit and give uh, we'd like to give some of their assignments to you and we'll shuffle things around. The more notice that I can give um, that helps with that uncertainty, the better. Okay. And the reason I ask that is is for folks that are maybe hesitant to ask that question, you're likely not going to get an answer like, I hate your guts and please don't ever talk to me ever again. You know, like I think mm-hmm. it's it's probably largely very constructive uh, and and everybody gets that. But I think there might be a fear mm-hmm. of, I don't want to know the answer almost. And so that's why yeah. I was interested in, in what you've heard. What's the, for folks that are like, yep, this sounds great and wonderful. We're going to do this. What's your, and this is part of your one-on-one mm-hmm. uh, protocol. What is your one-on-one protocol? How often do you meet? Um, mm-hmm. So we're, we're big about the apprenticeship model. And so while there's 14 on the team, um, I meet with all of my direct reports uh, at least once every other week. And um, and then our seniors meet with our staff. The the newest staff get met with once a week. And and then I meet with all of, I do skip levels at least once a month with my team. Skip levels? Yeah, where I'm, I'm the, the seniors generally do one-on-ones with the staff auditors and the staff auditors. I meet with the staff auditors once, once a month, so I know what's going on. And I could see someone going, hey, this is great and wonderful again. We are going to do this. They give it a month and go, this didn't really work for us. How long would you say it took to be effective for you all? Was it immediately? I would would say that it's a journey. So when I started on this team, a lot of us were, there were a lot of contractors and we weren't fully staffed. And now, um, now we're five and a half years later, the team is fully staffed. We don't have any contractors um, filling in holes and, um, but it's been it's been a journey over several years. I mean, they say culture change can take can take up to two years. Um, so it's it's also putting you know putting money into that savings bank. You can't take a withdrawal until you've you've got some money in that saving you know in that emotional savings bank. And so it does take a while to build this culture. And I would just say stick with it. Uh, I think that within within a few months you will start to see changes. Within six months you'll you most likely will see a lot of changes. All right. So I know some of the other techniques maybe or tools yeah. that you use, we've talked about, and one of those being the it's okay list. Could you mm-hmm. walk us through what that is? 
So this is this is one that I stole from Liz Fosley and Molly West Duffy. Um, and you can build this with your team, but often there's a lot of unwritten rules on teams and writing them down can be helpful for your team in stressful times. So if you yeah. think about me jumping out of bed at 4 a.m., going into the office and, and working on this urgent task, it would have helped me if I knew that there was an unwritten rule that I need this right now doesn't mean it. 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so things on this list can be like, it's okay to say that you don't understand something mm. and it's okay to ask why. I mean, I hope my auditors are asking why. Yeah. Um, it can also be for social norms. So it's okay to shift your hours earlier or later to take care of family commitments. And it's okay not to respond to emails outside of your work hours. It's okay to take a day off if you're a family member or yourself. Um, are ill and it's okay to block time for lunch on your calendar. So, so allowing the team to participate, you can do it, do it at your next, uh, you can do a workshop just for making your, it's okay to list where you put together a list of your unspoken rules. It, it can be really helpful because some employees don't know it's okay at the end of the day, if you didn't finish everything on your to-do list, some employees, it's helpful to tell them it's okay to set it down and come back to it tomorrow. What is, you mentioned maybe doing it at um, the next all hands, what's kind of the mm -hmm. protocol you guys follow? And is there a, like a shared document that has mm -hmm. all these that, you know, especially mm -hmm. I, I see if you're onboarding someone, maybe mm -hmm. you go, Hey, here's this thing. It's okay. You know? Yeah. So a lot of it has been really informal in the past, but we're going to be working on formalizing it at our next uh, kickoff. So we do a kickoff for each phase of our socks audit. And so we're having one in a few weeks and we're hoping to formalize it then um, and work on team norms. So, I mean, I think general best practices is a document like that should be a living document and you should continue to build on it over time and, and at least refresh it once a year. All right. So okay. of everything that you've shared with us, it's a lot. What's the one thing that you would recommend? So I would say, don't be afraid to talk to your team about burnout and do your best to set a good example for your team. And if you're someone who works odd hours, consider revising your email signature to let your team know you don't expect them to respond outside of normal working hours. Excellent, nice. All right, so that is retention, basically. Mm -hmm. But then we also have the hiring aspect. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the stats around this, but I know you shared with me uh, where you're at that the roles don't stay open for more than a month. Mm -hmm. I know yeah. people that have, have like, for six, nine, 12 months where these roles stay open. So how are you making, mm -hmm. how are you making hiring easier? How are you making that happen? So we have a really great talent pipeline. And one of the things that we do that a lot of other companies in our area don't do outside of like big four public accounting is sponsoring visas. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of employees are missing out on a lot of talent by not sponsoring visas and it's okay not to be an expert on it. Like we use an immigration attorney because it's challenging to navigate. I mean, I will be the first to admit it can be challenging to navigate the different types of visas and all the paperwork involved. But a lot of universities have programs that cover students um, working while they're enrolled. Um, so it's called a CPT authorization. And so we, we get a lot of interns from the university and then they can get their OPT authorization post-graduation while they apply for the annual H-1B visa lottery. I know that's a lot of, a lot of acronyms <laughs> and, 
and numbers, but essentially, um, you know, there, there are programs, especially through the schools to get these students in and get them started working while they apply for their visas, their H-1B visas. And some schools even have, they call it a STEM program. And that's not the, it's not science, technology, um, and math. And math it's yeah. uh no, no, it's a, uh, it's specifically an extended visa program, yep. um, that gives you a longer authorization period. So they have more opportunities to enter the visa lottery. So okay. often our international students coming out of it's, uh, for our case, our feeder program really is the master program at the university that's here in town with us. And a lot of times these international students are coming with significant workplace experience prior to enrolling in their master's program. And like, we're talking five or six years in public accounting or in internal audit before they came and did their master's. And so these students really are high quality, high caliber candidates. And, um, once they have their master's degree, they have a higher chance of being selected for H-1B visa lottery. So from our perspective, really the cost is pretty nominal to, to sponsor these visas, you know, in green cards too. I mean, it's a good, pro it's a good value proposition for the employees who, um, who are, are here and they have all these skills and it gives them more incentive to stay. And I feel like people, as soon as you said immigration lawyer, which sounds like a, a must in this because mm -hmm. of how messy it can get with, no, nope, yeah. totally not worth it. Not, we're not going to do mm -hmm. that. But I got to think the cost benefit of retaining and, mm -hmm. or at least uh, hiring is going to outweigh that cost, whether it's uh, oh yeah the stress of dealing with it or uh, the actual fee itself. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you just think about, think about the additional stress you're putting on your team by having that role open for six to 12 months. That is a good um, point. And, and the additional overextended burnout that you could be driving on your team if you're not backfilling with contractors. So, so for, for us, like, do we, you know, if having sponsoring visas and using your immigration attorney, we have a super diverse team. We have, um, a really capable team with a really wide skill set, and it really didn't cost that much additional, uh, you know, additional budget to, to make it so we could do that. Yeah. All right. What about the maybe more traditional route of campus recruiting? How do you guys do that differently? Yeah. So, um, so we're really plugged into, uh, the accounting student association at our local university. We go and we lead lunch and learns at least once a year. We go to the campus recruiting fairs and we also, um, attend their accounting recognition dinner at the end of the year. Um, having students who are interns here or full-time who are in the master's program, they they help recruit their friends. And we get, like I said, really quality candidates from the local university. Um, and the university, they are really attuned whenever we have internships at the end. They ask us what skills should they be teaching that they're not teaching to their students. And the more recent graduates, um, I was going to say, I have three who are graduating this week. So oh, nice. I'm pretty excited about that. But um, the, they're teaching students in these master's programs about robotic process automation and data analytics where they get to try out a whole bunch of different tools that businesses are using. So in addition to all these accounting courses that they're coming out of, they're also coming out uh, with baseline skill sets for technology tools to help move your department really further along that automation and analytics journey. Very nice. And then I know uh, we had someone else on the show mention this kind of 
tactic or technique also, but mm -hmm. they would reach out or, or talk to their, you know, their folks and go, Hey, who in your network do you know what you think would be a good fit fit here too? How does your referral network work? Yeah. So our company does have um, referral incentives and we always ask our team to post any open roles. So we say, Hey, we have this open role. Do you guys know anyone in your network? Can you post it on LinkedIn? And our whole team will post it. Right. And almost always we're getting, uh, if we have a position that's not like our, our campus recruiting pipeline, we almost always fill these these positions quickly with return uh, with these referrals, and it's not always even just um, referrals internally. Sometimes it's previous employees because we try to keep in contact with our our former employees, and often they have uh, they have people that they'll refer as well. Okay, and then the last kind of point was around upskilling. So how is <laughs> it? How is how are you using upskilling when onboarding folks or for for looking yeah. to hire folks? So um, I mentioned the apprenticeship model. We're really big on, say, bringing people along to learn how to do the skills and, and teaching them. There's no, I feel like there's no downside to that. Um, it's part of the IA standards that we need to be doing professional development and continuing education. And so, so the more time that we can spend developing the skills that our team members need, you know, the more invested they're going to feel in that we're investing in them and um and it helps them grow and then we promote from within so i mean that's how i want to spend my time it's way more fulfilling than being on a recruiting treadmill where we're reviewing resumes and interviewing and then training new hires it takes you know six months to get fully up to speed um when i can spend my time investing in my team and helping them develop skills that are going to be useful for us and training them in areas that they're growing in so they can move up and can continue to have a fulfilling career here. And I feel like just kind of close it out. I feel like every episode we've done is like, that's my favorite one. You know, like it's almost like kids, you can't have a favorite kid, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but to be able to think about, okay, again, the number one issue the chief audit executives are having right now you just gave them the playbook on how to solve that. It's hard for this not to be at least one of my favorites that we've ever done. Uh, and if you listen to every, you know, all 140, whatever before this, <laughs> you'll know I've never, it's like, I don't say that uh, often. And so I am extremely glad that we were able to have you on. Um, with that said, I feel like whatever you want to say to close us out is probably going to be better than anything else that I would possibly say. So with that said, the floor is yours. What what do you want to leave the audience with? Okay. So I would just say that when it comes to taking care of others through burnout or whatever else they're going through, like you really need to take care of yourself first. And it's, it's kind of like on the airplane where they say you put on your oxygen mask before assisting others and self-care looks really different for everyone and leading others can be challenging. So if it means carving out 30 minutes a day to garden or run or paint or read or whatever else you might like to do, you should do that. Even if you aren't really good at whatever you like to do, it's okay, the activity's for you, so it doesn't matter how good you are at it. And it's a lot easier to fill your own cup or fill others' cup when your own cup is full. Um, so, and also the last thing is, of course, don't forget to be kind to yourself. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.